0: That's the fourth time that I've heard that. I'm about ready to move to Norfolk, I tell you. Mm. I've said this to the other groups, and I I do want to say it to you. About the music. Uh, I love excellent music. I, I don't know. I mean, I just love it and but i tell you what with all the excellence and everything is done in excellence i love the music when the spirit of god is upon those who's leading the music and uh... when our hearts are stirred you know uh, god's ordained that music be a part of the praise of god's people and uh... It's, uh, it is an instrument, it's a means that God uses us to carry us along into his presence. And so David and choir and orchestra and all of you, uh, thank you so very much for being so tremendous. And I, I, just, uh, I just think you ought to give them a hand. I, I really do. And we're my wife and I are delighted to be here for this 10th uh, uh, year celebration of uh, pastor and people together. And uh, we're honored to come. And I want to commend you for doing what you're doing. I have the privilege of leading a network of pastors that are across this country from border to border and coast to coast, and now globally. I'll be leaving here and going out of country to lead two round tables, and be two groups of pastors this week. I have the privilege of doing that all over, literally, around the globe. And being in churches, and I just want to commend you as a church uh, as being pastor and people together. There's something that is dynamic. There's something that is appealing. There's something that God uses when the pastor and people are together. And today, you know, uh, I just was at Southern Baptist Convention, and, and you know we we love our Southern Baptist Convention, and but today across uh, denominations and established churches, what you see time and time again is that uh, there's a greater challenge and more difficulty to be an effective uh, witness for Christ because of too often there's tension and pulling in different directions between the congregation and the leadership of the church as God has raised up. Here's something that we teach. I teach this all over. When God has a plan, He raises up a man, usually, and sometimes a woman, uh, to lead that. And that's His plan. He, he's always done it that way. You, you just go to the Bible and you just find it. It's in the Bible. And so when you have a man who is leading you, to fulfill the mission of Christ. And the church has that. It's a blessing to the church. The pastor is a gift from God. It's not a gift that God gives to a man. Being a pastor. It is a person that God gives to the church. And so the church that honors their leadership. God has a way of using that church to make a difference. In this time. And a difference that will last forever. So I want to commend you for that but I also want to turn and commend Eric and Edie, uh, without being a doting dad or granddad. I just want to say that I'm very, very proud of them. I'm proud of them because they live their faith and because they live out who they are. Never trying to portray perfection, but authenticity in their relationship with Christ. Well, I knew Eric couldn't get away with that because his mother's here, but anyway, but, uh, we're very proud of them and very proud of these girls. And I'll tell you, church, it's a treasure to have a family who loves the Lord and is passionate about Jesus and passionate about making a difference in this time and doing something that God can use to be effective as followers of Christ. So I want to commend you and I want to applaud you. I think you ought to give a hand to your pastor, his wife, and his family. All right, that's enough. (laughs) You know, I don't like these paradigm shifts. I'm accustomed to telling Eric what to do, not him telling me what to do. So I'm having to get used to that today. (laughs) Wow. I want to take... I think I can get this done in the next two hours. I'm not sure. but I want to take the next few minutes and I want to talk to you about leaving something that lasts by making a difference now. Leaving something that lasts by making a difference now. A few weeks ago, my wife and I received a an email from a lady by the name of Lucy Adipo. She's better known in her part of the world as Mama Lucy. Lucy Adipo runs Little B's Training Center. Little B's Training Center is a place where marginalized and children who have virtually no opportunity for education or investment in their lives, they, she brings them to her place, and there she gives herself in training them and teaching them giving them education. Some of her educational techniques are she uses chalkboards because that's what she has. But what she's doing, she is doing something that makes a difference right now that's going to invest in a legacy that will last forever. She also brings young girls, young girls who are abused and brings them in, and she has a place for them there. She also brings unwed mothers in. And cares for them. What Lucy does is she invests in their lives and makes a significant difference. Now here's the thing that's additionally unique about Lucy. Lucy's Little Bees Learning Center is located in one of the most violent slums in the edge of Nairobi, the Mothari Slum. It's in that slum where girls are abused and she takes them in. It's in that slum where girls are raped and become pregnant. And she takes them in. It's in that slum where children wander the streets as such as they are. She takes them in and trains them. Lucy Adipo is making a difference in her community where she is right now. And making that difference in such a way that she will leave something when Lucy is gone that will last beyond her. You and I will probably never have the opportunity or be called upon to do what Lucy Adipo is doing. But you and I are called upon to and given the opportunity and the capacity to leave something that lasts by making a difference now. On different occasions, I've had the opportunity to sit on one of the most famous mountains in all the world. This mountain is not known because of its height and the expeditions that have scaled it. It is not known because of the resorts that surround it or are upon it. It's not known because of its height or its exotic nature. You say, what is this mountain known for? This mountain is known because of what was said there and who said it. You see, it was on that mountain that a person named Jesus sat and called his disciples to himself. And he began to speak to them. And what he said was a sermon. And that sermon has become the most famous sermon ever in the world, in all probability, the Sermon on the Mount. And of course, the person who spoke it was Jesus. And when he called the disciples to himself, he laid out before them the kind of characteristics that they would possess. This is the kind of people you will be. And he laid that out in what is called the Beatitudes, and they give descriptions of the disciples of Jesus. He didn't make this declaration to the crowd. He made it to his followers. And he said, this is the kind of people you're going to be. And then after he had spoken that over them, he said this to them. And when he said to them, cause to you and to me, and I want you to hear them, the very words of Jesus, that he's saying to you and to me today, he says it to you as an individual and you as an individual and you as individuals. He says it to us as individual people. So I want you to hear this, not for someone else, but I want you to hear it come into your own ears and through your ears to your heart and mind, because this is what Jesus is saying to you today. He said, and he says, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt? If it has lost its flavor, can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Oh, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a lampstand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Jesus says to you, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. When Jesus spoke these words to his followers, there on that hillside in the northern shore of Galilee, when he spoke to them those words, he forever set before every generation the reality that his followers could and should leave something that lasts for the next generation by making a difference right then. And right there, you and I can leave something that lasts by making a difference right now. You can do that. You can do that because you are an important person. When Jesus described his followers as salt and light, they understood that they were Jewish people. They were living in a world where they understood what that meant. It meant that they were of great value. What Jesus was doing was placing great value on those hearers. Understand, he's not talking to the parliament. He's not talking to the Congress. He's not speaking to the Supreme Court. He's not even speaking to his city hall. He's talking to ordinary people who lived on the hillsides in the walled and unwalled villages around the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. These were ordinary people. But what he said to them was this you are important and he looked at every follower every man and every woman that was there and when he said you're the salt of the earth you're the light of the world what he was saying to them is you are important because they understood the value of salt and the value of light. light was precious it wasn't something they presumed upon it was something that they held as a treasure light and salt salt was so important that the soldiers who occupied Israel at the time, Roman soldiers, often they would be paid in salt. If a man did a good day's work, he was paid salt. And it was said of him, he was worth his salt. So salt was valuable. Light was valuable. And when Jesus said to those ordinary people, ordinary people, unknown people, You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. He was looking as it were to each one of them and saying to them individually, you are an important person. Now, if all of us in this room were honest with ourselves, we would acknowledge that we have certain insecurities. And in our time, we have to acknowledge that there is a certain uh, resistance, if it were, to even Christians in our even in our own nation among the elitist the secularist and the humanist and so there's a tendency among us and can be very easily that we become insecure and we could even feel that we're less than we really are but here's what i want us to hear i want i want us to hear jesus saying to you i want you to hear him say and call your name this morning And I want you to hear him say, you are an important person. Every person who stepped across the line of faith, put their trust in Jesus, and become a full-throttled follower of Christ, you are an important person. You're not only an important person, you have an important purpose. You can and you will leave something that lasts by making a difference now because you have an important purpose. Salt and light were important, not just because they were, but because of what they did. You see, they had a purpose. Salt's purpose was to permeate. That's the way it operated. And light radiated. That's the way it operated. Salt permeated for a reason. They took salt and they put it on meat. They put it on food. And they put it on food so that the salt could penetrate and it would deter decay and it would preserve the good. And what Jesus was saying to his followers that they were to be like salt and like salt, you are to deter decay and you are to preserve that which is good, that which is good. And so it is with us today. That's what our role is. As salt deters decay and promotes preservation of food, the believer, you and I, you and I today, we are to preserve the good in our families. We're to promote the good in our communities. We're to promote the good and the goodness in our country and in our world. You see, there is such a thing as getting a mentality where we're always at a war against something. I want to remind us that while we exist to deter the decay, we also exist to promote the good. And when we promote the good, it will deter the decay. When we are avid and aggressive, when we live out the goodness of God through our lives, it promotes the good and deters the decay. There's a writer by the name of Scott Peck, and he wrote a book entitled, people of the lie. Before that, he wrote a book, The Road Less Travel." Scott Peck is a man who went down many religious roads before he became a Christian. He studied Islam, and he studied Buddhism, and he studied a lot of those different religions. And as he went down those roads of those religions, he came to the place that this is not for me. But when he went down the road studying the person of Jesus and the Christian faith, he wholeheartedly embraced the Christian faith. And as a scientist and as a psychiatrist and as a Christian, he studies evil and he studies good. And he says that we cannot escape the reality of evil, but neither can we escape the mystery of good. You see, we live in a world where there is evil and we are the people who are called upon and given the privilege of purporting good. It is purported that Plato, the great Greek philosopher, said this many, many years ago. And sometimes men are purported to have said something that maybe they didn't exactly say. But this is what Plato is purported to have said. The penalty good men pay for indifference to public affairs is to be ruled by evil men. Now today that's been popularized and we all can embrace it, this saying And it goes like this. The only thing necessary for evil to prevail is for good men to do what? Nothing. Nothing. And see, Jesus says to you and me, you have an important purpose. We are to deter decay in our society. We're to deter the promotion of evil in our world. But how do we do that? We do that by being sought and preserving and promoting that which is good. Speck says there is a mystery of evil, but there's also a mystery of goodness. And when you become a follower of the person of Jesus Christ, you transfer your trust to him. You dedicate your life to him at that point And from that day on. We are given the opportunity and the capacity, the capacity to promote goodness in our nation, in our communities, in our families, in our world. Jesus said, you have an important purpose. Like salt, you deter decay and promote goodness, but also you're the light of the world. Light radiates and light radiates to give direction and to draw attention. My wife and I, we love to go to the new England and and many, many summers. We'll go there for a few days just to rest and to relax and to have a good time. We just like it. There's something about it. And we go along the coastline of new England and going along the coastline of new England, you know, it's ragged, it's rugged, it's rocky. It has torrents to it. And it's just really an interesting place to go. But that coastline can be very dangerous. It can be treacherous. In many years, there were Nordic people and Celtic people who would come. And they would come and they would trap and they would fish and then they'd go back. But when we settled this coastline and we began to do commerce with Europe, There were ships with valuables that were brought, and they wanted to take them to safe harbor. But when the storms would come, or when it was totally dark at night, it was difficult to know where the torrents were, difficult to know where the rocky, craggy shoreline was, and so they began to put lighthouses along that coastline. Those lighthouses are there so that the captain of the ship all the passengers on the ship and the cargo of the ship could be guided safely to a harbor. That's the purpose of the lighthouse. When Jesus said to you and me, you're the light of the world, what he was saying is that you, by the life that you live, by the words that you speak, by the actions that you do, by the deeds that you do, by the decisions that you make, all of that, By you as a person, you become a lighthouse giving direction because there are people who are looking for direction in life. They're just looking for someone who'll give them some kind of positive direction. You know what? I've come to the conclusion that the people of this world are not looking for perfection in God's people, but they're looking for a people who have a direction in their life that lifts them to a higher level of living, that gives them a better sense of life, that gives them a fulfilling purpose that they've embraced. You and I have the opportunity to be a radiant light, radiating, radiating, showing people a better life, leading them to a safe life. Harbor light exists to give direction. You and I are to give direction. This church been here 200 plus years, correct? Amen. 200 plus years. What you've been doing all of these years is given direction, given direction to the Hampton roads community, given direction across this country, given direction around this world. As Eric mentioned a few moments ago, you got mission teams and In other parts of the world. What are you doing? You're being light. You're being light. And what do we do as individuals? In our families. Come on, somebody. In our families. We're to radiate. To give direction. Jen and I think about this as grandparents. Giving direction. How? By being a person of perfection? No. But by living a life that says there is a higher way to go, there is a way to live that brings fulfillment. We live. You're the light of the world to give direction. But something else, could I say? You're the light of the world to draw attention. To draw attention. We have 14 grandchildren, my wife and I, we have four sons and before we had a grandson, we had a whole plethora of little granddaughters That's another paradigm shift by the way, but wonderful, wonderful granddaughters. Our oldest grandchild is a girl. And when she was about four or five years of old or somewhere along there, she and her mother were visiting some friends out in the country. They live down in southeast Texas. Down in southeast Texas, the land is very flat, and if you're familiar with it at all, you know that there are, there are canals and, and there are cuts and there are places where the water can drain off and all of that. And in those canals, there are strange creatures like alligators and, and horrible cottonmouth snakes and a lot of other vermin that God created. I don't know why, but they're there. Well, Tess... Her mother and the ladies were in one room and the children were in another room. And so she decides that she will become adventuresome and she goes outside. Didn't check with her mother, didn't tell him. I just went outside and outside she began to wander around. And the next thing she knows, she had drifted out of the backyard where there was light onto the side and in the front yard where there was no light. And suddenly Tess is lost. If you've ever been in a place where it's very, very, very dark, you know that you could easily get lost. And so Tess is lost and, and, and she begins to try to find her way back. And as she walks along, she goes across the yard and across the ditch and up in a driveway and out the driveway to a road. She's trying to get back to where she was. She's lost. She walks down the road and in the distance she sees a light. There's a light and it's a porch light, but that's a light to her. And is it a light that she left? She's trying to find her way. And so she starts walking. She walks down the road. She cuts off of the road and goes across a field, across a ditch. Now, you got to know that her mother is frantic by this time. She's called everybody in the whole Thomas clan. We're in prayer. They've got search dogs and the police because Tess is lost. And Tess, she's walking toward the light. And across the yard she goes, across the ditch, And up the driveway, and up the driveway to the porch, and up on the porch. And when she gets to the porch, she knocks on the door and rings the doorbell. She's made her way to that light. The only light she could see, she made her way to it. And when the person opens the door, little Tess proudly announces, My name is Tess Elizabeth Thomas. My daddy is a lawyer. Do you know me? She had made her way to the light. I wonder how many Tessas there are in our world, in our sphere. And what they're looking for is direction. And by the life we live, by the words we speak, by the attitudes we have, by the priorities that we establish... By doing all of those things, you and I become a light that draws attention. And as a church, could I just speak to this as a church? Here you are, strategically placed in in one of the places that touches the entire world from right here. And what should the church be? What should the church be to people out here who are wondering, who are searching? are crossing treacherous terrain in life looking for direction and they're going down this lane and it's a dead end they've tried this way and it's a dead end they've tried that way and it's a dead end and if we as the church and individual believers and followers of christ if we're authentic in our faith authentic not pretentious But if we're authentic and genuine in our faith and our attitudes and our actions and our priorities and the way that we are somehow begins to reflect the person of Jesus in our lives, we become lights that draw people. Jesus said, you have an important purpose. You're like salt that deters decay and promotes the good and preserves the good. And you're like light that gives direction and draws attention. You can make a difference now in people's lives in a way that you'll leave something that lasts when you're gone. You say, okay, I buy into that. I'm there. I'm with you on that. I'm all good. Now what? Okay. Okay. You can, and you will, leave something at last and make a difference now when. When. Now, here's the key. When you are true to who Jesus says you are. Jesus said you're the salt of the earth. But, there's a but. If the salt loses its flavor, can it become flavorful again no what happens to it is thrown out and people trample it underfoot what he was doing they knew what he was talking about the salt that loses its flavor was salt that was a certain kind that when it was exposed to foreign moisture it lost its flavor and they took that salt and they put it out and it became roadway and people walked on it So they knew exactly what he was talking about when he said that it wasn't foreign to them. They understood what Jesus was doing. He was giving a word of warning, a word of warning about not being true to who you are. What Jesus was saying, be true to who you are. You know, Christians are the majority in our nation. We are the majority population, believers, people who check the box and says, I am a Christ follower. We are the majority in our nation. And yet in our nation, there are values that are being placed upon us that are foreign to who we are. And sometimes the way we want to deal with that is to rail against the Congress or the leadership or the Or the Supreme Court and all those things. And I believe that we as Christ followers need to be involved in the public affairs. There's no doubt about that. But a better way to deal with the issue is not to rail against. Not to rail against. Not to rail against. But to be who we are. Exemplify the person of Jesus. In the life we don't allow, don't allow personal preferences, don't allow traditions, don't allow strange ideologies, don't allow them to move us away and lose our strength. I wonder today if a minority that can press values upon us as a majority, I wonder it's not about them, friends, it's about us. Have we lost our saltiness? Are we missing our way? Jesus says you can and you will leave something that lasts long after you're gone. And you can do it by making a difference now when you are true to who you are as a Christ follower. He says... You can and you will when you're true to who you are, who Jesus says you are. And you can and you will when you let Jesus shine through your life. It's interesting to me, and I looked at this again as I was thinking about coming to talk to you, that he says, let it happen. In other words, it's already there. He says, let it happen. But Jesus knew as he looked at his followers, he knew that they had the possibility of perverting the use of light. And he said, nobody does this. Nobody takes a candle, a light, a lamp, and puts it under a basket. Nobody does that. Nobody. But rather than take, they take that little lamp with that oil in it and that wick, and they put it on a lampstand so that it may give light to all that are in the house. Jesus knew the possibility of the perverted use of light so he gave them a caution he gave them a yellow light said watch out watch out watch out watch out be careful one of the great tragedies today is that many churches are like The little red phone booths in London, the little red phone booths in London. You go to London, you'll see them everywhere, but you talk to a Londoner about that phone booth and here's what they'll tell you. They'll tell you that that phone booth has no value. It's not used. It's just a relic from the past. It's just a part of their tradition and they don't tear them down because it's a part of their tradition. Unfortunately. For nearly 100 years, the church in around London was becoming more and more and more and more like those little red phone booths. And what frightens me today is that so many places in our nation, churches are tolerated, but they're not celebrated. And they're allowed to just be there like those phone booths. And I wonder, are we putting our light under a basket? Or are we allowing the light that Jesus has given us to be radiated out into our culture, into our society, into our communities, into our schools, among our colleagues? Jesus said, let it shine. Let it happen let it happen you say okay how does that really work be who you are let it shine William Lane Craig is an apologist and he's one of the foremost apologists in the world for the Christian faith and he debates with atheists in major universities and his goal is to turn the academic world toward God and he's doing it by debating atheists on colleges and university campuses some of the most prominent universities in the world, that's where he goes. And when he debates, he debates in such a way that most always he wins the debate. To the degree that one atheist made this comment about him. He said, Dr. Craig has, uh, has put the fear of God in us and scared the devil out of us. That's what he, he said, you know. Reality is he is very effective. Now you and I probably will never be William Lane Craig. But the person who influenced William Lane Craig was a young lady. You see, Dr. Craig, when he was in school, he could not play athletics. He couldn't. He wasn't an athlete. He had a problem. He couldn't do it. And so he became interested in debate. And Dr. Craig, in a German class, not even in a debate class, in a high school German class, he took note of a young lady, the girl that sat near him. And as he watched her, he was attracted to her not romantically but just attracted to her she was so radiant and so he began to probe and find out what was the what was going on with her and when he did he discovered she told him that what had happened that she had a personal relationship with jesus and because of that he affected everything in her life that young lady with that simple explanation of the radiance in her life became an influence on a young man by the name of William Lane Craig. He began a journey searching out who Jesus was. He stepped across the line of faith and gave his heart and life to Christ and realized that God had put a passion in his life to communicate who Jesus is because it was Jesus who made the difference. You see, you and I probably will never be William Lane Craig. Some of you may be, somebody might be, some could be, But probably most of us never will be. But here's what I want to say to you and me. You and I can radiate the person of Jesus in the life we live where we are. We can be that high school girl in that German class who has such a relationship with the person of Jesus that the light of his life shines through our lives. And people take note, take note that there is something. There's something. They may not be able to put their finger on it. They may not be able to understand it, but there's something there. There's something there. There's something. Jesus said, you're an important person with an important purpose. And you will leave something at last by making a difference now. When you're true to who I say you are and you let my light shine through your life distill down to this simple one thing. You and I are to be Jesus wherever we are. Could I help us? I say that and I have all kinds of theological ramifications that run through my mind. But the reality is folks when Jesus unfolded those beatitudes and he turned to his father and said this is who you are. This is what you'll do. He was saying to you and me, I want you, wherever you go, to be Jesus, to be Jesus, to be Jesus, to be Jesus. In your culture, in your community, in your school, among your colleagues, in your family, wherever you are. And as the body of Christ, the body of Christ... The best thing that the First Baptist Church could ever be known for is that they reflect their relationship authentic, genuine, intimate, and personal with the person of Jesus Christ.